Hello friends, I hope you're doing well. I am Ryan Stevens and I am excited to bring you the Catalyzing Podcast. How's it going, everyone? I hope you're having a fantastic day. Excited to bring you the next episode of the Catalyzing Podcast for Athletic Trainers. Before we get into today's topic, I just want to thank everyone who has reached out with uh, both positive and constructive feedback on the first few episodes. Really appreciate that putting this podcast out there for you, especially you know, those of you who are certified athletic trainers. Ideally, I want to give back to this profession that I love. And I really want to try and find ways to help to elevate your career, help you improve your quality of life. And the conversations that we've been having have been fantastic. And I really appreciate hearing the feedback that you have found those valuable. So we're going to keep them coming. We've got exciting topics planned moving forward. Again, if you are listening and have not yet subscribed on your favorite platform, please remember to do so. That way you get alerts every time we do post a new episode. And also, especially on iTunes, uh, if you feel that this podcast is deserving of it, please give it that five-star rating. Uh, Any kind of feedback and comments in the reviews for any of the podcast platforms is greatly appreciated because it helps other people see that this is worth their time and investing and listening to. So on that note, I'm excited to bring you Harold Gibbons. Harold Gibbons is the uh, guest on today's uh, podcast. And uh, Harold is a fitness coach who I met a number of years ago, and he works for Mark Fisher Fitness in uh, New York City. And Harold is really a a fantastic person, an amazing mind, and a very caring individual who's passionate about both the coaching aspect of working with people to create a change in their lives, but also the science behind what he does. And today's topic is going to be called Building Ownership in Your Patients. So he's going to talk about what we do uh, in regards to building ownership in his fitness clients. And we're going to also talk about the parallels and relate that to as athletic trainers, how can we build more ownership in our patients taking control of you know, following the rehab programs or developing some ownership and sticking to the advice that we are providing. Harold is a coach with Mark Fisher Fitness, like I mentioned, um, and he believes in everybody's ability to take control of their lives, and that's what guides his coaching. His purpose as a coach is to elevate exercise as an empowering tool to enrich the quality of life of those that he works with. They call him ninjas at Mark Fisher Fitness, and uh, as well as his personal clients. And in his time at Mark Fisher Fitness, he started a few things, uh, the Motivation and Movement Lab, which is a continuing education event for fitness professionals, the Trainer in Residence Program, which is a mentorship for coaches to experience the Mark Fisher Fitness environment for several months at a time. Uh, He also runs the Mark Fisher Fitness Program Design Team, which writes programs personalized and group for over 800 of what they call New York City's most ridiculous humans. I love that. Uh, He's also, uh, his latest passion project is the Mark Fisher Fitness Explorers Club, where he's encouraging their community to get outside and explore the natural world as much as possible. So he's very much into mountain biking, getting outdoors, hiking, and he's trying to bring that world to his coaching as well. 
Um, it's really cool how he blends the progressive exercise strategies um, as well as some contemporary contemporary coaching concepts to really create some powerful, empowering experiences with the coaches uh, that he works with and with the clients that he guides of all ages and ability levels. Uh, you can find him at haroldgibbons.com, H-A-R-O-L-D-G-I-B-B-O-N-S.com. And on social media, he is at Harold underscore Gibbons. Um, so find him out there, look him up on that note. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Here we go. Ryan Stevens and Harold Gibbons talking about building ownership in your patients. All right, Harold, it's fantastic to have you here on the Catalyzing Podcast. Thanks for uh, for having me over to Mark Fisher Fitness Health Kitchen today. This it is pretty awesome. awesome having you over here. I can't believe I know, I've known you for this long, and this is your first time visiting the clubhouse. Hey, I'm excited to, <laughs> to be here, and um, it's fantastic because you know not only did I get to come over and hang out with you a little bit, mm-hmm. but I'm going to have uh, some really great info to take from here back to my team at work as well uh, to learn from the great things that you're doing. Um, so that's just fantastic. So first of all, thank you for, for inviting me out here to, to join you. y'all. This is fantastic. I, we haven't done a meeting like that in a while. And uh, thank you for going through the entire <laughs> like hour-long workout with us as we like learn the new class cycle. Absolutely. This is fantastic. So um, you know, for everyone, Harold Gibbons, I met him uh, a number of years ago at Perform Better uh, Functional Training Summit in Providence. Mm-hmm. And uh, I gave a little bit about his background in the introduction. But you know, we're really going to talk today uh, and have a conversation about the, the topic of ownership. And before we get into that, uh, this is something that I've witnessed, Harold, you over the years through social media and, and getting to know you. I, I could tell that this is an area that you very much embrace and that you portray in your professional life and personal life, um, when the concept of ownership per- personally and professionally. So that's why I wanted to talk about this uh, with you. But first of all, Tell us a little bit, uh, Harold, about your journey. What led you into coaching? And just for all of you uh, out there in the audience, um, Harold is, he's not a certified athletic trainer, but like I mentioned in this podcast, we like to learn from other professionals and other realms. Harold is a fitness coach um, and he's been doing it for a number of years. So tell me, Harold, what has your journey been? What led you to coaching? Um, I had a few really, really inspiring mentors and a few mentors who uh, taught me what not to do. Um, so I first left high school to study music. My band teachers, plural, were like some of the best teachers I ever had. And I, the thing that I liked about them was that they asked, they taught me things and asked me to work hard at the same time. And when I was in music school, I had, uh, some really good professors, some professors who I didn't really vibe with. And I started to fall out of love with music. At the same time, I started working out as an escape, uh, because it was fun. Like I got to get away from the hard work of music and go into the joy of the gym. Uh, And around that time, I also watched my dad's health decline pretty quickly from complications from diabetes. And at that time, as I was trying to figure out, hey, maybe playing music every day or teaching music or uh, I really was into like symbol design, like Mm -hmm. to make symbols for drummers. And maybe that's not my calling anymore. And I was watching my dad's health decline and if I'm looking at type two diabetes and everything in metabolic syndrome, it seems like it's rarely an information gap. People mostly know what to do. They just struggle to actually do it. And I sort of like watched the real world consequences of that. Um, And I decided I was gonna go back to school for health and phys ed. And then when I was student teaching for my like last semester of school, my dad passed away. And I, I had an almost instantaneous realization that if I was working with even a high school senior, it might be 20 or 30 or 40 years before 
their ability to act in a health enhancing way is really tested. Um, but if you're looking at adults, um, even people who are not considered old, but mm -hmm. basically are learning how to take care of themselves in real time, the ramifications of certain decisions are much greater, much faster. Um, and I very quickly was like, you know what? These high school seniors are probably going to be okay for a while, but like the other people who are my dad's age need help now. Um, and I decided that I wasn't going to student, I wasn't going to teach in a school setting. I was going to teach in a different setting, um, and sort of bridge this weird, like youth performance and geriatric care gap where I was working with, um, people in a JCC on Long Island where I think like my youngest client was like 57 mm -hmm. and then a lot of like high school and college baseball players. And I like the 57 year olds and I like the 17 year olds, but there wasn't, I wanted a combination of both. I wanted people who at a healthy age were realizing that they needed to be more proactive about their behaviors. Um, and around that time, I ended up meeting Mark Fisher, Brian Patrick Murphy, and Kyle Langworthy at Perform Better. And it might have been the year or the year before I met you. Okay. I want to like go back through my archives. Yeah. When, when well, I know the, the year that you and I met, not to digress, but yeah. Mark was there and I met Mark as yeah. well. Um, so it was probably the year before. It might have been yeah. the year before that. Yeah. And um, I realized like as, as crazy as they seemed for such a more straightforward environment, I was like, uh -huh. oh, these guys really understand... I mean, the like the tagline, like the back of my shirt says serious fitness and ridiculous humans. And mm -hmm. I realized that they were like the epitome of both that I sort of wanted <laughs> to step forward into. Um, and I just three days ago celebrated my six year anniversary here. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been like just very, very excited to be able to do really serious exercise science in a community of both coaches and we call all the clients ninjas. Mm -hmm. So the ninja army is a community might be, I think, one of the most supportive communities on the face of the planet. Um, so that's that's how I met Mark and sort of the decline of my dad's health and his his passing and then all of the mentors I've had in strength and conditioning have sort of like brought me to where I am today. It's fantastic. And I know one of the parallels between um, strength and conditioning fitness professionals and certified athletic trainers in the sports medicine realm is that they both are looking to make a positive impact on someone's mm -hmm. life while that person may be going through a difficult time. Yeah. And in addition to that, you know, you talked about, you know, the, the high school senior may not realize that they may not need the, you know, a lot at that point from a, um, from a health perspective. Mm -hmm. um, it's went down the road is where they have the issues. We're also looking at it as, as how can we manage these injuries right now in those high school right. seniors and those young, young people to keep them from having health issues down the road. So very, very similar parallel. Yeah. And a big part of that, both in the rehab setting and in the fitness setting, is really getting people to take ownership, shared ownership of their fitness, of their rehab program, along with their coach, with their athletic trainer. Right. But there's a lot of reasons that people have difficulty sticking to rehab programs and exercise programs. Mm -hmm. In your experience, what are some of the reasons or the major common themes you've seen with people that you know, really lead to them having difficulty sticking with that program? What are the roadblocks yeah. you see? I feel like most of, I would venture that most of the ninjas that I know at MFF and the clients that I've had in general who are successful with their health and fitness programs, the ones who are like truly successful probably got very lucky and 
have worked incredibly hard at figuring out a system that they can use for support rather mm-hmm. than just sort of hoping that a plan works. Um, I've seen it with the ninja, there are ninjas who have been here longer than me. So they've been here for like seven or eight years. I think Mark did his first program that turned into MFF um, nine years ago. Okay. So like there's still people who've been around. And so basically for almost a decade have been really, really focused on consistency um, and I believe that consistency of habit is probably, if you're tracking anything, is probably the most important thing. Um, it seems to me that having a community is probably the most, the single most important uh, resource. Like if you think of a community as a resource, probably mm-hmm. the most important one for getting people to be consistent. If that community is a workout buddy that you text because you're meeting at the local gym, and like have that person and that is a two-person community mm-hmm. here at mff i think right now we have just under 700 active ninjas so mm-hmm. between the multiple facebook groups and the people who you sort of expect to see in class now there is definitely some ownership um that people take upon themselves to show up um frequently i hear ninjas say i didn't want to work out today but i wanted to see this person mm-hmm. um and sometimes that person is on the mat next to them. Sometimes that person they'll see in crossing between classes. Sometimes that person is the coach. Uh, but it seems really, really important that there has to be some sort of community as like the glue that holds the system together. And then I think a lot of it, the system ends, the system for a person ends up being their schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like it's definitely more, people are more successful when they have a scheduled time slot, like a class to attend or a semi-private training session to attend, a workout where they know they have to like check in or swipe in at a certain time, than if it's just, I'll go to the gym after work. And sometimes that is on the way home from work. And sometimes that's after dinner. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's after happy hour, in yeah. which case it ends up being inconsistent. Yeah. Um, and we have our snatch classes where people sign up for certain time slots. But all of the ninjas are basically self-sufficient with figuring out their schedules, which means that sometimes they work out at 4.30, sometimes they work out at 8.30. But it seems that working out at a consistent time with a consistent community tends to be like the number one factor for everyone. And you made a couple of points that um, are really resonated with me. Because I'm, I'm thinking, I'm taking what you're saying, and I'm trying to think about, you know, the athletic training clinic, the healthcare clinic, because mm-hmm. it is, is a different feel. Yeah. But one thing I know you love, Brian, Brian Wynn, um, you know, on his podcast that we did, uh, we spoke about the importance of developing a community in your athletic mm-hmm. training room or in your clinic. Yeah. And you know, while you can't because of HIPAA reasons and whatnot, <laughs> you, you can't, you know, divulge everybody's conditions to each other. Yeah. What you can get them doing is is collaborative rehab and having them help each other be accountable. And that's what you're speaking to yeah. with the ninjas here is mm-hmm. they, they support each other. Right. And they look forward to being there with Tom because they know Tom's mm-hmm. there with them. So, right. you know, having athletes or clients who need to do rehab, almost having a buddy or having mm-hmm. someone that, even if it's not the same injury, mm-hmm. hey, you two are going to come at 250 today. Right. Um, I think that helps to promote ownership, yeah. like you mentioned. And then you also talked about structure and timing versus just show up whenever. I think that's important too. Often in in rehab settings, you know, if it's like a clinic, you have scheduled appointments. But in the secondary school and colleges, you may have athletes that just show up randomly at any time and want the rehab then, the treatment then. So Mm -hmm. making them more accountable by setting a time slot not only helps the clinician manage the rehabs more effectively without getting backed up, but also maybe 
holds them more accountable to right. show up actually versus, hey, make sure you stop in tomorrow. Right. I think it's a great point um, mm-hmm. that, that we can take from that as well yeah. too. Yeah, and we frequently see that. That I mean, most everyone that I train, if if it's my first time that I see them, then I sort of have to do some digging to figure out like what their a day in the life is. Like if I was training you for the first time, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't ask that many questions about your medical history or like your movement background outside of like just enough so that I can like meant for myself clear you to do some basic right. basic stuff. But the majority of the questions that I'll probably ask you in our first session are about who you are as a person, not how you move or who you are as a body. Um, And that seems in my side of training, in a fitness population that I can generalize as like probably underserved by like traditional mass fitness. For most of the ninjas that I see here, I believe that I'll get better outcomes if I can first connect with their they're like the base of their nervous system like i want to first make your like lizard brain trust me before mm-hmm. i before i talk about like hey like i think this is why you're having this problem um so most of the conversation ends up being like hey what train do you take here because we're in new york city right yeah. like which branch of the subway do you take um how how stressful is your job like or even before that like what do you do mm-hmm. are you like what's your relationship status um do you have friends that are into similar things than you are you a night owl and they're early like uh, early birds like what is the like average day in your life like because if i can figure out figure that out it ends up giving me some more information with which to build the rest of our relationship on um and i definitely rather focusing on the quality of that and making sure that you feel safe in my care than making sure that the training is 100% perfect and knowing that you're not getting an experience that you find empowering. Um, After, I think this last year at Perform Better was like my ninth year going, and now I'm sort of at a point where I've picked up so much information that I'm sort of like at talks, actively figuring out what I can do less of Mm -hmm. because in the biggest picture sense, people are coming into gyms outside of a medical setting because they want to change either their body or how they feel about their body. And I think that MFF, most of our folks here are coming in because they want to be part of a community where they can finally let down their guard. Yeah. And with, I mean, we're sitting next to these FMS kits Mm -hmm. and I feel like most people will like let their guard down, their nervous system changes, their movement magically gets better. And it's not like magic. It's not like corrective exercises. It's just that they're calmer and they're like more able to open up in all levels of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it ends up being, hey, how safe can I make you? And upon that safety, then start pushing towards your your specific goals, provided you feel safe in the first place. I love that because that really, at, at, a, at a root foundation, it's almost about the rapport that you build with them mm-hmm. to get them to want to come back, to listen to your recommendations, you know, because they have all those roadblocks and you're asking about those yeah. in your conversation with them about their life Mm-hmm. And that helps you to understand what the potential roadblocks might be right. so that you can then frame your approach with them to work around those roadblocks. Right. Maybe sometimes, you know, not directly, but, mm-hmm. you know, being being sly with the fact that, you know, oh, you know, I know they need to do this exercise five times a day for them to really increase their mobility. But the mm-hmm. reality is I know they're not going to do it. So I'm right. going to set them up for success and say, all right, this week. I just want you to do this three times a day. Yeah. And if you do that, 
you're a rock star mm -hmm. and you made it successful. And then they show that they can do that. And then it's a lot more likely that they're going to be able to do it four times a day because they get right. buy-in then that it's actually helping them. Right. Um, so you, you made a great point about having the importance of knowing someone's life, knowing someone's roadblocks and what are the potential factors that they might not be able to take ownership of their, their condition, right. their own fitness. Yeah. Because I don't think it's because people don't want to get better or they don't want to right. feel better. They right. just, life gets in the way and, right. and difficulties happen and they don't know how to manage that or they don't make what they need to do with us a priority because right. of other things in life yeah. popping up. Yeah, I mean, you just, you use the phrase roadblock and I feel like that's, like that's the entirely appropriate phrase for the vast majority of the world if you're mm -hmm. like physically driving somewhere. Um, and I'm only thinking about the irony here because literally the majority of the ninjas take the subway here. Yeah. And I frequently ask them about driving and they're like, no, we don't, we don't have to drive cars. We're in New York City. Yeah. But I think for me, it's almost more important to know about the, the literal roadblocks on somebody's commute from home or work to the clubhouse than it is to know about their medical history because I can learn more about how to take care of them, literally knowing where they're physically coming from than if when they were like 14 they broke their leg skiing the last time they went skiing yeah. <laughs> um and and i feel like a lot of the conversations that i have are navigating somebody's um aches and pains or stressors in real time more than it is like long-term management mm -hmm. um so like when we are working with medical professionals when we have a ninja who's working with a physical therapist or uh, a doctor of uh like an md who is like hey here are limitations almost always I'll default to let's follow your doctor's advice and painful movement is like my one limit and I trust you to take care of your body like you as the the owner the driver you as your you and your body like you know what's going on um and even in that like language wise I separate the brain and the body and I know it's not like that mm -hmm. so for a lot of the folks that I see it's trying to make sure that they feel safe enough if we're like thinking of, of measurements, like yep. if I could, if I wanted to test your HRV before and after and, and some sort of intervention, if I know what your nervous system is doing and I am aware enough that there's enough variables in our non-clinical setting that that would probably be more stressful for a lot of people than it's worth. Um, but as long as they feel safe, I, I say, hey, like you are the driver of your car. Like, you know, if your wheel is crooked or not, like mm -hmm. I can tell you that it's crooked, but if you don't feel it, that's not mm -hmm. useful feedback. So almost everything focuses on, hey, do you feel safe with our time together? Because then you're more likely to want more time together. Um, and in my time before MFF, and I know a lot of coaches who are so uh, enamored with sort of telling somebody what's wrong with them that they talk themselves out of clients because they say, here's what's wrong, here's what I can fix you with, or here's what I can help you with. But most of the clients that they're trying to talk to don't actually think anything's wrong. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's it's you know what did you say? It's your own car. Yeah, you, like, you have to drive your own yeah. car. Yeah, I love mm -hmm. that. Um, that's that's a great way of visualizing it. Yeah, um, and like I feel like a lot of in this world where we've got so many so so much of the MFF training team education comes from exercise science, like high level exercise science and sports performance. And right now we're heavily influenced by the Postural Restoration Institute. And it's definitely easy if I go with the, if I run with the car metaphor. It's definitely easy for us to get super focused on that, and we'll 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 occasionally go too far. And we talk with something we're like, "Look, your body is like is an as a Ferrari F1 car, and we really need to make sure that we've got every possible variable dialed in." 
And the person's like, I don't know what a Ferrari F1 car is. I'm like, uh, secondhand Honda Civic. I just need to get from point A to point B. Like, just let just let me go. Yeah. And it ends up being, as like a training nerd, it ends up being a really good reminder for me. Like, this, this person doesn't really care about whatever acronym we could throw at them. They just really care about like getting from point A to point B. And that's probably going to feel better for them if there's no traffic and they get a good radio station. Mm-hmm. And if I can like remove mental barriers and literally play good music i'll probably have better outcomes <laughs> i love that it's like yeah. so it's so you're complex right. but it's so simple at the same time you're right uh, both fitness and rehab there, there's an art and a science to it mm-hmm. and you learn lots of the science the art comes knowing when to do things when not to do things or how to adapt messaging how to adapt approach in mm-hmm. a given situation yeah and you just learn that over time. We yeah. we're not if we don't have that right when we start, you know, and that, mm-hmm. that takes a lot of time. Um, one thing that I, I noticed today going through your your little uh, your workshop mm-hmm. um, was your coaches are doing a really great job with the way they cue things, and I think cueing is a big way that we can help to promote ownership of exercise by helping people feel more comfortable and mm-hmm. understand it better. What are some specific strategies that you and your team use to really? Um, build independence with those exercises yeah. because you can't be coaching them every moment of every every day right um, you know they might have to do some stuff on their own as well mm-hmm. what are some strategies you use to build that independence in them mm-hmm. in the same way that athletic trainers would do in building independence with rehab programs yeah um my guess is that that big picture everyone who's cueing and instructing exercises if it's an athletic trainer a physical therapist a coach like a, a strength coach that basically all of us have the end result outcome. I know like if you're in a medical setting and you're navigating pain, then like Amanda Ting, one of her coaches is a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. And, and if she literally, if she's in the building, I'm like, go talk to Ting. That thing hurts. Like she will, she will feel more comfortable and probably better serve you. Um, but really our goals end up being, can you get into certain positions that we know are biomechanically safe um, and musculoskeletally appropriate like can you get into a position that we that we know your body should be in and in that position can you feel certain muscles that will be useful for you to be able to recreate that position so it feels like a lot, half of our coaching is like directly in line with everything that nick wickelman's research has talked about mm-hmm. and really being specific about giving instruction that might include uh, internal cueing but one of the things he talked about at perform better this year was the last thing that you say should be an external cue where you're creating a story like a visual story or like a mental story right the metaphors where people can say oh yes i when i'm in my hinge position and i'm doing a bent over row i want to feel my hamstrings i want to make sure that i can be aware that my obliques help tie my rib cage to my pelvis maybe i reach far enough at the bottom that i feel my serratus turn on and those are my sensory motor like goals is hamstrings obliques and serratus and the last thing that i would say is this is a tabletop position and they can just visualize what a table looks like um and i want to make sure that somebody knows the positions that are desirable they know just like two to three muscles that like they're probably going to be focused on driving some attention to Um, and i found that with those that specific split of mindfulness of hey, this is the position we're looking for, and here are the things we want you to feel in that position. It gives people... Uh, it's weird because it could sound really complex. I think once ninjas get used to it, then they're like, okay, great. I'm like looking for a few things visually. I'm searching for a few things kinesthetically. And then they, then we basically spend the rest of our time like 
praising people for finding those good positions. Mm -hmm. I would much rather ask somebody how they remembered to um, externally rotate at the hip while standing out of a squat than say, your knees are caving, your knees are caving, your knees are caving. Like I don't think that's good coaching. I think really good coaching is offering specific praise after somebody makes the adjustment on their own and then figuring out ways to remind them with decreasing frequency so that they gain more autonomy there. One thing Nick said this uh, this year at the at his yeah. presentation was speaking to that is you're not a good coach, you're not a good athletic trainer, you're not a good physical therapist if they oh, yeah. can't do it without you being yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, that's a big it's, part of it. That, that speaks so true. exactly to yeah. what you're talking about. I Sorry, I keep touching on that. <laughs> um, I, one of the things that, that Nick inspired me, because he said that, he talked about a silent set. Right? Yes, like, a silent set. As, as, a, as a, it's funny, I never talk with the ninjas about this stuff because they just like do it mm-hmm. and the team sort of talks about it. But it's like a test for comprehension. It would be, hey, we're, this is week one of Ninja Essentials at FFF. We're supposed to review the deadlift. If everyone's deadlifted before, my silent set would be do five deadlifts. And then I would literally just watch and mm-hmm. see, hey, how did these look? Um, and I frequently tell the ninjas, hey, let's, let's dust off some cobwebs. Let's make sure that you're like physically present for each rep. And then if we're thinking of like comprehension, in theory, the deadlift that they start with should be pretty close to the deadlift that they ended the last bout of exercise with. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've been doing, and it feels so risky, so I specifically do it with with classes of veterans. Um, and I and I make sure that it's people that I have rapport with because otherwise it seems like shitty coaching. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it seems like bad coaching. But I'll have a, a class where I have seen them move before. And I say, hey, do five reps of this exercise. Let's say it's a push-up. Everyone does five push-ups. And then I say, hey, let me acknowledge that this is not the best instruction, but in 30 seconds you're going to realize why. Do five push-ups and do them better. There is no movement cue there. I'm not telling people mm-hmm. to make sure that they keep their cervical uh, spine like like flexed, right? I'm not yeah. saying, hey, can you like retract your rib cage? Can you protract your scapula? There's no movement cues. And every time I've done it since I've started doing it after Winkleman said this at Perform Better, I finish the second set of five, and then I I turn the coaching emphasis to the class, and I say, ninjas, there's up to 15 of you in here what did you think about how did you know to make this set better every class everyone has had an answer mm-hmm. um, which I think is a testament both to the team at MFF for being good instructors and to our community for really taking ownership because my goal is not to be here to uh, if I go to a car metaphor pull you over when you're speeding my goal is to be here to be like hey you're speeding and to have somebody say yes I'm doing it on purpose or for them to say Oh, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost everyone is aware. Uh, and it's like truly a privilege to be part of. But it's definitely one of like the trickiest things I've tried to navigate. Like, do them better now. And then ask the class, ask the individuals in the class, hey, what did you do to make it better? And they always have good feedback. Like, this community is awesome. I, I, I think that it's not just these ninjas. We have special people in this world. But I think that any coach who tried to do the same thing after they established rapport and there was safety, could get similar outcomes. And I think that transfers ownership to the ninjas, mm-hmm. to the patient, yeah. to the client, which is making it more likely that they're going to stick with it and do it. Because you know the silent set concept, 
the part where you're asking feedback, mm -hmm. and I love the analogy of, you know, do you know why you were speeding? <laughs> right. They know what they know they were speeding or they didn't realize it. Same kind of concept with the exercise. You know, they might not realize they're doing a movement incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Or, you know what? Maybe it's just a difficult movement and they don't like doing it. Right. And getting to that root of it is a really valuable way to get them to take ownership of what they need to do. Right. So absolutely what you're talking about mm -hmm. in the fitness realm can very much be applied in the clinic and the rehab setting yeah. with athletic trainers and getting student athletes and getting patients to take accountability of what they need to do. Um, you know, the concept of the silent set, the, the appropriate cueing. Mm -hmm. Not over cueing, which you yeah. mentioned, is very key because you know I've done that many, many times early in my career. You you want to you want to sound smart, you want to sound like you know what you're talking about, but then you confuse them mm -hmm. and you overfix, right. you over cue, yeah, and then they can't retain it, one and of, because of that, they have issues. One of the other things I've played with in because I try, I like I want to pretend that I periodize every single coaching strategy that I use, and then sometimes I'm like, all right, that that didn't work as well. One of the things that seems to work really well for people who have like a year of experience, and I know that I feel like very lucky with these timelines, like a year of experience is it intent finding whatever, how many, however many cues they can tolerate and giving them like one more than that and then asking them which one is the least important to them. So let's say it's a deadlift and like we're really practicing their deadlift. It might start, if I'm starting from the ground up, I might say like, yes, like create that short foot and these might not be the cues that I'm giving them, but it might be like suction cup, your, your feet are suction cups, like suction cup, your shoe to the ground. Um, like make sure that you're flexing those hamstrings at the very tippy top. We call posterior pelvic tilt sad dog. So it might be like at the top, mm -hmm. strive for sad dog, like resist anterior pelvic tilt, which we call porn star. So it might be like <laughs> resist porn star. Um, are you able to get tall and like your head's really high, but like, can you keep your ribs down? Can you breathe behind the shield? And usually around like five or six of those reminders, people are going, wait, what was number one? Mm -hmm. um, and then I tend to ask them like, hey, can we combine any of those, right? Can you think of a metaphor or uh, an internal cue where you can streamline the process so that it's as easy as possible for you to like get in and go rather than saying, I've got this pre-flat pre checklist that's gonna take me two hours. Um, and, and there's definitely folks who have 40 things to check off and in 30 seconds do like two deadlifts and I'm like, hey, like think less. Mm -hmm. And then we definitely have people who grab the bell and start moving and they're like, when does it get hard? I'm like, you should be able to create tension independent of the load. I want you to be able to really own that, move this as a movement skill and then figuring out for any individual person that I'm coaching, how much, how many cues is appropriate, how mm -hmm. much feedback is appropriate so that they can feel successful while they're moving. Yeah. And Similar to that, we tend to, in rehab, give yeah. too many rehab exercises. Right. So because, you know, it's almost like giving too many cues. Right. You don't know which one worked, which mm -hmm. one made a difference. And you know, I'm, I'm guilty of that absolutely, you know, throughout my career and getting excited and thinking, oh, I'm going to have them do all these exercises because I know it's going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And they get better. And then I don't know which one made them which better. Made them <laughs> or, you know, you give all these cues you don't know which cue was the difference maker right. that they retained it. So yeah. every time you have to give all those cues. <laughs> right. um, and then weed them down over yeah. time. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a time suck, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, what's going to be really important in that takeaway yeah. is, you know, really focusing on what are the main things that you have to do. Right. So in rehab, we give mm -hmm. too many exercises and 
what really leads to that is confusion and mm-hmm. you don't know which one made a difference. So right. what you were talking about is right in line with, with that, with yeah. giving too many cues yeah. as well also. And then sometimes one of one of the like one of like the, those like over the cueing oversaturation strategies that I'll try to play with is at the end of a set or like between rounds, make it community driven, right? Mm-hmm. Ask the group, hey, which of those worked for you or which didn't work for you? Um, I'd rather be positivity bias and be like, what what did work yep. for you? Um, but anything that we can check off more of or intentionally take off the list seems useful. Um, and I've definitely found in this particular environment where the community drives so much of the class experience, I probably get, I get lots of good information from my fitness friends. I probably get better information from the ninjas as they figure out what works for them because those all of those individual n equals one case studies yeah. ends up being like i think i did the math the other day i think i've taught in the last six years at mff i think i've taught like seven thousand hours something like that so like i'm not even close to like my ten thousand hour goal and i feel like of the time that i've put in here i have so much feedback from the ninjas mm-hmm. um where if i take take each ninja in hours it's probably twenty thousand hours yeah of of face-to-face coaching time with people who were like here's the thing that worked for me um, and I'm really trying to make sure that I am informed by the community as I inform more people in the community I love that it's sometimes not easy to ask that kind of feedback to your mm-hmm. patients or to your members right um, because you of ego or because yeah. you're afraid they might say oh that didn't help me yeah. <laughs> but being vulnerable like that and asking for that feedback of you know, which of those three exercises today do you feel made the most impact for you? Right. Well, that's going to resonate with them. They're going to appreciate that you're listening to them. And you're going to know, I better make sure that that exercise is there tomorrow when they come right. back in and do that again. Because yeah. that's going to show that I'm listening to them. And the holistic part of rehab, the holistic part of fitness is more than just the physical exercise. But also that emotional connection, mm-hmm. that feeling of being cared about being listened to yeah and that carries a lot of weight in helping someone to stick with what you're telling them to do right so that's very powerful um you know to to keep that in mind yeah. as well too yeah and i think that that's a lot of like what we're trying to put together is i i was talking with mark about this the other day one of one of the specific things that i've been focused on since i got here is like my i actually said it to a class the other day and then i was like mark tell me if this is weird my I had a class of veterans. Everyone everyone had been here for like three or four years. And I literally looked around the room and I was like, my goal would be like, if I pass out during class, that you're all able to finish class and your movement wouldn't change. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want you to rely on my instruction. Right. And I literally was like, I don't plan on it. But if I pass out, <laughs> somebody grab the mic, somebody start reading on exercises and like probably tell whoever's at the desk, like tell Brett and like just... I want you to be able to finish class. And that's like always my goal as a coach. If I'm thinking like big picture, yeah. I want you to be a success, move as well in this building as you do outside of this building, be able feel comfortable in spaces. This is the hard one because we've got disco lights everywhere. So it's like a little bit different, but I want you to go to like the big box gym down the street and then be able to get in a workout that is physiologically pretty similar. Knowing that the environment's different. Yeah. That's big picture of my goal is I want you to be able, if you're a ninja who came here for Snatch, to learn about exercise and to learn how to exercise. I want you to keep coming back because you choose to, not because 
you're stuck coming back because you don't know how to do it somewhere else. For me, that's failure as a coach. But success would be making sure that somebody can take ownership and do it on their own if they so choose. I love that. And I think that's a great way to to summarize a lot of what we, we spoke about today. And, and I like to always wrap things up by talking about actionable take-home points. So Harold, what would be two or three action steps you would say for those who are listening that they can implement right away to take a step toward getting their patients, their clients to have more ownership in their program to enhance their outcomes? Man, I feel like the first challenge, right? Like we're always challenged by our self-awareness. So that might be for any anyone listening, it would be to figure out where they can improve ownership, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's like that paradox where most of us are probably pretty good at self-care, but we have another aspect of our lives that we're not so good at. Yeah. So I'd say like literally for all of us, the, the self, um, turning that light back to ourselves to be like, great, what is the thing that I too need to benefit or to work on because I think if, if I know like for me, hey, my like my sleep is not the best or like my spending habits are not the best or like my like anger management isn't the best. Those are things that we can improve upon, even though like if we seem to be the expert in this one thing, yeah. maybe we can we can remind ourselves, hey, I have growth to do here too. So if we're actually all working to get better, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say I like the I love the idea of the silent set and then asking whoever you're working with if it's general population fitness if it's sports performance if it's if it's a rehab setting asking people for the cues um, because my guess is if you've never done it it would be awkward at first and then as you get more comfortable with it and as you train yourself to sort of pause mm-hmm. and wait for that feedback from the person you probably will get better as a practitioner learning the words that this person would use with you and knowing that they are now more in control of what they're doing. Yeah. Great wisdom. Thanks, very, man. very much appreciated. Harold, thank you for your time. I really appreciate you, you know, taking some time to have this oh, conversation yeah. today. We're going to have many, many more conversations in the future. I know it because um, uh, this spawned a lot of questions for me to, to think about. You know, and the first point you said is it starts with yourself. Yeah. Um, with anything that we do with ownership, you got to first know yourself, see yourself on the balcony, understand yourself so that you can then better put that out there for others. And um, you do a great job of that. Thank uh, you. And uh, I look forward to continue to, to have conversations with you as yeah. we go down through our career and uh, just keep doing the great things you're doing. If someone wants to find you online mm-hmm. or reach out to you, what's the best way to, to do that? Yeah, um, I use all the social medias and I'm probably the most active on Instagram. Uh, uh-huh. My handle is at Harold underscore Gibbons. Um, and I'll probably communicate most quickly through there. And then HaroldGibbons.com is like my base of operations website-wise. Fantastic. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Harold. Thank you. Keep doing great things. Thanks, Ryan. I'll talk to you later. What an amazing conversation. I really always enjoy having uh, some uh, discussions with Harold whenever I get a chance. I really think that we can all take a lot of value from that conversation. doesn't matter what your profession is. The reality is, is if you want to build ownership in others, you first have to start by taking some ownership of yourself. And then you got to find strategies to really help to promote that accountability and ownership on their end as well too. So I really hope that uh, you found some value in that conversation. Please hit us up on social media at Catalyzing ATS. 
with your feedback. Appreciate any kind of sharing you can do. Again, that challenge we have the last couple podcasts. If everybody who listens to this, if you find it valuable, if you can just share this with at least just one other athletic trainer or athletic training network that you belong to, that's going to help to spread these great messages. And we're going to keep them coming to you. On that note, appreciate uh, you listening. I hope all of you have a fantastic day. Remember to go out there and keep doing great things. Act with purpose with everything you're doing. Really continue to pursue mastery in that profession that you love and find that passion to continue to make a positive impact every day. Have a great day. Take care.